Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. I've entitled this message, His Arms Are Open to You. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, just two verses. There is a whole wonderful chapter filled with powerful spiritual truth. I'm talking about preaching ground. I might preach it yet. Not today, though. I read that chapter. It's the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the wonderful story of the prodigal son who was lost but eventually came home. But I started reading, and I got through the first two verses, and the Lord said, stop right there. And I couldn't get past verses 1 and 2. And here's what they say. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, to Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's it. You can be seated. I want to talk about Leah, and then I want to talk about Jesus. When I first met my, now my wife, 34 years, when I first met her, I was attracted to her. There were things about her that got my attention. Her smile, her looks, her laugh, Her personality. I said, I like this girl. I won't tell you that our first date was a bust. It was horrible. The Lord's timing, we we didn't get together till later while we were at college. When we finally got serious and we, we started hanging out with one another, and the more I was with her and the more I learned about her and got to know her, the more attracted I became to her. We have a little joke. Leah and I are both very picky eaters. And so we would be dating, and she'd say, I hate tomatoes. And I said, I hate tomatoes too. And I'd say, I can't stand onions. And she said, I can't stand onions either. About four or five items into the food chain, I said, we need to get married. And one day I asked her to be my wife. And she must be have been attracted to me because she said yes. Now let me talk about Jesus. I want you to know this morning there is an attractiveness to Jesus. There's something about him that draws you in. I think that and I'm going to talk to the church today as well as people who are not saved, but I I often think that we are guilty of thinking that because we're saved, we're redeemed, we're born again, we're the children of God because we're saved, that we're the only ones that can be drawn to the Lord, and we're the only ones that can get close to God, and we're the only ones that have that. And, and of course, being a child of God does put you at an entirely different place. I'm not discounting that by any stretch of the imagination. 
But what I do want us to make sure today that we understand, for those of us who are saved, is that it is not, we don't have a monopoly on Jesus. There, he can be attractive to people who are not saved. The Holy Spirit has a way of drawing sinful people to himself. Now, I know that when you're in sin, you don't really want to have a whole lot to do with God. Now, some people will go to church, and they'll even be religious, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But about really having transformation and change, that's, not, that's why you're still in sin, because you don't want that. But that doesn't change the fact that the Holy Spirit knows how to reach the sinner. You know, every person is different, but God knows exactly what to say, exactly what to do to get your attention. I want to tell you, God knows how to get your attention. I went back to the Bible. Moses, God needed to get his attention. He used a burning bush in the wilderness. Um, Elijah was in a cave. God needed to get his attention. It was a still, small voice. The children of Israel were in the wilderness. He needed to get their attention. So there was smoke and fire and thunder and lightning on top of a mountain. Buddy, that'd get my attention. For little, the little boy Samuel, he was hearing audibly the voice of God speaking his name, Samuel, Samuel. What I'm trying to tell you is God knows just how to get to you. Don't think he can't. When I got to this point in the message, my mind went in my 34 years 35 really plus years of ministry to tell, this is what I thought. I'm going to tell you this. There has been more than one sinful man who stayed home every Sunday while the wife and the kids went to church, did his thing, said, I'm not going to church, lived in sin, didn't live right. He provided for his family, whatever, but he would not give his life to Christ, would not go to church, would not... His wife had to live with that. He was, he was not the spiritual leader of his home. And then one day, suddenly, and the way he does it is as varied as every moment of every day. He reaches that man, something he sees, something he hears, something he feels, something that sparks within him. And he looks at his wife one Sunday morning and starts getting dressed, and she says, what are you, I'm going to church with you today. And he goes to church, and he hears the gospel, or it's sung, or su- sometimes it's not even the gospel. He just, the Holy Spirit starts working him over, and he, when the invitation is given, even if there's not an invitation, while sitting there in the pew, the chair, he starts praying and says, oh God, please forgive me. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Change me, Lord. And God gloriously saves him. I can't tell you the times that story has happened. Luke says that the tax collectors and sinners were drawn to him. It also says the tax collectors and the sinners wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And let me just stop right here in case you're not getting the depth of what I'm preaching. Uh, I actually went back, even though I've studied this for all these years, I went back one more time and I studied about tax collectors. I went back and looked, I wanted to find out historically. I got all these references and commentaries, but I tried to just find even sources beyond. I wanted to find out what were tax collectors like in the time of Jesus. 
and they were not good people. They were viewed as traitors. They were Jews working for the Romans who had brought Israel into captivity. So that would like, be like Russia invading the United States and taking us over and then saying, we're going to start taxing you. And some of you say, well, I'll work for your tax government. And you start collecting taxes from us for the Russians. Do you think you would be popular? No. And then they would take money that they weren't supposed to take. They'd take more than they were supposed to. They were despised. They were like the poster child for people going to hell. And then he says, and Luke said, and the sinners. And so I said, well, okay, sin, you know, that can be anything. Well, I looked it up. Oh, I love it. It's blatant sinners. Not the person who tries to cover it up. Not the person who goes to church on Sunday and tries to act like one thing, but then in certain places, certain times, when they're hoping nobody looks, they're acting like the devil. No, these are people that live at 24 hours, seven days a week. They post it all on Facebook so you can see it. Those kind of people that you would think don't want to go to church, don't want to go get no God, don't, do, definitely do not want to be saved, find themselves drawn like a magnet to the Lord. Not only drawn to him, but they really are interested to hear what he has to say. I'll be honest, it fascinates me. Because in my mind sometimes, you do this, we assume that sinful people don't want, that's why they don't come to church. They don't want to hear preaching. They don't want to hear these wonderful songs with theology in them. They don't want to hear God's word. They don't like the Bible. They don't read the Bible. Most people today in America don't even know the Bible anymore. So, you know, it's, the Bible's just for us. But you better be careful. The Bible is God's word. And God's words can go to whoever he wants to hear them. He said them to you one day, didn't he? When you were in sin. This is why preachers need to preach the Bible. Now I'm going to meddle. There is in Atlanta, Georgia, and I will not say his name, a pastor about my age of a megachurch who's very well known. I have heard him. I have been in a conference, so this isn't hearsay. This is I heard so I can say. That his theology is that because we are biblically illiterate in America, that preaching the Bible or saying, thus says the Lord, to try to win people to Jesus is incredibly and totally ineffective and unnecessary and is counterproductive and tries to teach preachers, don't do it. I've sat in the conference and heard him. I wanted to get up and throw something. But it was his conference so he could say whatever he wanted to. And so he wants me today to not preach the Bible and say this is what the Bible says because he says, well, the Bible doesn't mean anything to people today. I beg to differ because the Bible, let me repeat myself, is the Word of God. It is His, what He has spoken. And just because the, the, the American population does not know it does not mean that it should not be spoken. How will they hear unless somebody says it? 
You have to declare. It doesn't matter if they don't know it. It doesn't matter if there's no context for them. It doesn't matter what they think about it. This, my God, I wish I had brought, I got I to, somebody give me a Bible. Who's got a, give me, give me that, you got a Bible, give me that Bible. Can I borrow your Bible? I'll give it back, I promise. I should, I got my electronic stuff up here. You see this book? This is no ordinary book. This isn't a history book, though it contains history. This isn't a philosophy book, though it contains philosophy. This isn't a self-help book, though this book will help you. This is the word of the living God. And when God spoke, worlds came into existence. When the real word came in flesh, lives were changed. And the world is saying, my God, you better preach the word of God to people. We got to dumb it down. That's our problem. Do you notice I'm a word preacher? I preach the word. I'm all over the map because I'm a communicator. When it's all said and done, at the end of the day, I have to preach the word. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. And if I have a dead, spiritually dead, lifeless person in front of me, They need life. They need spirit. I can't give it to them. I can give them CPR all day long, but their spirit's not going to come alive. But let me just say, thus says the Lord. Did I tell you what God said about your situation? Can I tell you how what God has spoken, how we can change your life? Every time I breathe in to speak, when I, breathe, when I speak out, air goes out. You cannot speak without exerting air. When you speak, you take a breath, and then you push that air through your vocal. My God, God doesn't have vocal cords, but I'm here to tell you, when God speaks, giants fall. When God speaks, Jericho walls fall. When God speaks, the mouth of lions are shut. When God speaks, worlds are created. When God speaks, stars are flung into the universe. You don't understand the power of his I'm yelling. You can't yell either. Sorry, I'm yelling. Because I'm not dead. And football season starts next week, and I'll be doing a lot of yelling for the next three months, four months. But I made up my mind, I'm going to yell for Jesus before I yell for the Clemson Tigers. And you can yell for the Gamecocks or the Bulldogs or anybody else. You know, the... If I get up here and just speak mere words and ignore this, you can shrug that off. That was good. That was interesting. That was boring. Put me to sleep. But you let me, let me preach the word of God. You can't shrug that off. Say, you, you want to you wanna bet? I'll take that bet. Yes, sir. Put your money where your mouth is. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, can, I can turn this thing off. Yeah, let's see. 
Because if God makes up his mind that one thing that I say this morning from his word, he wants to use it, go get in your car, and you won't be able to sleep tonight. You won't be able to sleep for the next seven nights. You won't be able to get it out of your head. It'll haunt you. It'll work you over because it's God's word, and you cannot turn off the word of the living God. He loves you that much, he'll just stay after you. Can't get away from it. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh. That's Jesus, capital W. The Word, Jesus, the Logos, became flesh and lived among us, and we saw his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. He showed us God the Father. What did we see? We saw the fullness of grace and truth. God doesn't just have grace. God isn't just gracious. God doesn't just possess truth and speak truth. Listen to me. God is grace. God is truth. So when he speaks, he speaks not only words to you, he speaks words of himself. You get a picture of who he is with grace and truth and who he wants to be to you. Are y'all getting this? So in the incarnation, Jesus revealed the glory and the nature of God. See, when you're drawn to the Lord, when you get saved, you first hear the truth. It's a reality check. Y'all remember, for those of you who are saved, do you remember that? You just, you just going along in life, doing your thing, living how you want to live, partying on the weekend, clubbing every Friday night and Saturday night, puking your guts out in the toilet on Sunday morning hung over, but boy, you had fun. Lying when you need to, cheating when you need to, sleeping with who you want to. Come on, I'm just preaching today. Viewer discretion is advised. And somehow, God got truth through to you. I don't know where you were and how it happened, but you had this overwhelming awareness that you were a sinner, that you were away from God, that you were in a mess, that you were on your way to hell, that if you died right now, you didn't know where you, matter of fact, you didn't know where you were going to spend eternity. It frightened you. It terrified you. You had a deep awareness that you were in serious trouble and you didn't know what to do. That was the truth. But then grace showed up right behind it. And words of grace said, but, however, God speaks, I love you in spite of your sin. I sent my son to die for you because of your sin. There is a solution. There is a savior. There is salvation. You, there is deliverance. I can do something in your life that will gloriously change you and you can be free from this captivity. If you'll just put your confidence in me and what my son did and ask me to forgive you, I will wash you and cleanse you and justify you and take you as my very own son or daughter. I will turn your world upside down and you'll wish you had never even lived that life of sin when I get through. That's grace. It's grace. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how bad it's been, how long you did it. Doesn't matter, God said, I've got this thing called the blood of Jesus that can wash away every sin. 
And so you hear the words of grace and you experience prevenient grace, which enables your dead, lifeless spirit to somehow come alive enough to hear it and receive it and exercise faith. And then when you do what the Lord asks you and tells you to do, you give your life to the Lord and you get the wonderful experience of saving grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I That's point one. Y'all all right? How many love a good story? I love a good story. I will watch a chick flick with my wife because that's about the only way I can get her to go to a movie with me. But I'd much rather have an action movie. It's just the way I am. Not, that's, so that's my favorite. My favorite movie is The Hunt for Red October. That's getting old now. But that's my favorite movie. That and Casablanca. If you are a young person and you've never watched Casablanca, sit down, watch that movie from beginning to end. It is like the perfect movie that was ever made. It's got it all. How did I get on that? There's no anointing on this. Every good story has a protagonist and an antagonist, a hero and a villain. Well, we've got them in this story. The antagonists were the Pharisees and the scribes. So the Pharisees were a religious group that considered themselves separatists. As a matter of fact, that's what the word Pharisee means in the Greek. It means to be a separated one. Scribes were experts in the law of Moses who interpreted the law for everybody else. Let me just, without going into deep, detail. You can look this up in the Bible dictionary. Let me just tell you what. Let me just sum them up. They were hypocrites. They were prideful and they were spiritually obstinate. They weren't right with God. We would call them posers. Now they looked very religious. They were the largest religious group in Israel, but they weren't saved. And they believed that they were better than real just blatant sinners because they kept the do's and the don'ts of the Old Testament law. They were so faithful to their religion that they thought that made them better than everybody else. And they fought against Jesus, and eventually they nailed him to a cross. And they antagonized the Lord in this story. I want to stop right here and preach to the church, give you a warning. There is such a thing as modern-day Pharisees. I've pastored them. I have... Two couples in my mind right now. You say, Pastor, you're not supposed to do that when you're preaching. Too late. They're already there. They wanted everybody to think they were holy. And oh, they could be people of faith and prayer and they knew the word. One of them wrote a book. They wanted everybody to think how biblically smart they were and Another one sang in the choir, got up and sang a lot, and they wanted everybody to think they were just super spiritual. And some naive people bought into that. But those of us who got to get closer to them and see the real them found out they weren't that at all. It was all a sham, a smokescreen. They gossiped, they were busybodies, they were judgmental. Two of them were racist. They'd cut you up one side and down the other. 
behind your back and smile to your face and then come to church and sing and shout. They were hypocrite. And no, they don't go here anymore. Yes, thank you, Jesus. That's right. Y'all could do better than this preacher. I'm sorry. Maybe if you'll go look, you could, if I call the overseer, you could find one. Thank you. Now, you can be saved, this is my warning, and have a little bit of Phariseeism in you. So can I help the body? If you judge sinners at the expense of any and all grace, you've got some Phariseeism in you. You won't give them any grace. You just cut them off. You've got some Phariseeism in you. If you categorize sins and sinners, you have some Phariseeism in you. You'll come down hard on some sins like homosexuality. But then you'll come down light on other sins like telling little white lies when it's convenient, not keeping your word, using profanity, saying mean things to people. If you don't say it, you type it. sermon disappeared for a split second. That scares the pastor. You can just brush aside some sins. Oh, it's okay. That's all right. We do that down south. My family, we always did that in my family. It's all right. My daddy did it. It must be okay. Oh, you're getting quiet on me now. That's all right. If you are, and this is for churches, so let me just preach. It's my sermon. Let me preach. If you are happy with your 44 and no more, how many of y'all ever went to a little church? I did. My grandfather pastored a little church. We had 44. It was Easter Sunday. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you have your 144 or your 244 or your 440, listen, or your 1,044, and you don't want any more, you just want everybody that's already there. Mm. You don't want anybody else to come in the congregation. You have, you have lost your passion for the lost. Maybe you never had your passion for the lost. Listen to me. You, are, you have a little bit of Phariseeism. That kind of exclusivity always comes at the expense of evangelism. When you are in a maintenance mode, we just want to maintain who we have and what we've got. We want to sing our same songs and we're going to shout. And we don't have to explain anything to anybody. We don't want to disciple anybody. We don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want to be uncomfortable. This is, this is our thing every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. However times you meet, listen to me. That kind of mentality nullifies the mission of the church, which is the Great Commission. All clap. If you're going to clap, that's a good place to clap. Let me remind you, high praises, we are not a social club. We are not a charitable organization. We don't exist to offer self-help workshops. Our primary 
purpose of existence is to share the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone who will listen to us. That's what this church is about. We are beggars telling other beggars where they can find bread. My God, I'm about to shout. I don't want us to ever lose our passion for souls. I will not. I pray for souls nearly every day of my life. I pray for the lost. In growth track, I try to teach the new people who come into our church, learn to integrate into your prayer life, praying for people that don't know Jesus. I don't want to ever get to the point to where all we do is look inwardly. When that happens, we will implode. We will rot and erode away. We exist to do what somebody did for you and me, to tell people that there is hope, there is a savior, there is a liberator, there is a deliverer, there is an emancipator. You can be free from the burden of sin. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. I want to see people saved and brought into this house as far as I'm concerned, the more the merrier. Save people. That's point two. Antagonist. They complained about Jesus. That's what Pharisees do. They complain all the time. Unless they get their way. The Pharisees and scribes complained. This man receives sinners and eats with them. But their complaint was actually a compliment to the Lord. Scandalous. Call the tabloid. A rabbi is eating meals with tax collectors and sinners. Somebody call the Anderson Independent. This is front page stuff. Call YouTube and tell them to come out and make a video. That's a joke. Jesus welcomed sinful people into his presence. He never shunned them. As a matter of fact, the only people he didn't have time for were Pharisees and scribes because they got on his nerves. Now, let me explain. People were drawn to Jesus, sinful people. They wanted to listen to Jesus. Jesus accepted them just as they were. But listen to me. He never accepted their sin. And he's still that way today. He didn't condemn sinful people, but you never once heard him condone their sinfulness. Never. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But go to John 6, 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Then why did he come? That the world through him might be saved. See, when you're in sin, you're already under condemnation. You've already been judged. You're already, the, the gavel has slammed down. The penalty has been declared. It's just a matter of when you get around to dying and going to hell. You're separated from God. That right now is, is a living hell. So Jesus 
didn't come to condemn. He came to save, but he wouldn't condone. John 8 tells a story of a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and dragged before Jesus. The crowd was ready to stone her to death. Jesus said, he who was without sin, you have my permission to cast the first stone. Beginning with the oldest to the youngest. Why the oldest? Because we've been living longer, we've sinned more. They started dropping rocks and walking away. Some scrawny little 17-year-old was still standing there ready to get in on the action. Where did everybody go? And some grandfather turned around and said, son, drop the rock. Just keep on living. If you don't watch it, you'll be the one there they'll throw rocks at. Come on. And they walked away. Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? Shame all over her. She wouldn't even lift her head. She just glanced. She said, sir, I have none. One of the most beautiful words you could ever hear God say to you is neither do I condemn you. Now, that doesn't mean she got a pass. She got grace. She got mercy. Because the next thing he said to her was, go and sin no more. Don't you ever get in the bed with him again. Don't you even text him, call him. Message him on Facebook. Don't do it, the Lord said. You didn't know they had Facebook then? It's over. Was that just, okay, I'm going, okay, whew, got out of that one. I'm gonna, I got to do better. Is that what that was? Is that what God does? Does he just kick it under the rug and then say, go do better? No, he transforms and changes. Every time God Every time the Son of God, who was 100% God as well as 100% man, forgave or did something like that, it was a salvific work. There was efficacy to what he said and did. Something, you know, put it in terms we all understand, something happened. My little, my little grandson say, something, something happened, Papa. Something happened. Oh, God, I feel the Holy, that same Holy Ghost that touched her, I'm feeling right now. How many remember the day God saved you? How many remember the day God changed your life and washed your sins away? Do you remember what it was like? Oh, the joy, the peace. Every bit of that hit her. Something transformed inside of her, and she didn't walk away saying, I got to do better. She said, I'm going to walk. She walked away saying, I've been changed. There's something different about me because there's something different about him. He's changed my life. What he gave her was forgiveness of sins and a fresh start, a transformation. Because when Jesus saves you, you don't have to sin anymore. You don't want to sin anymore. You can't sin anymore. I mean, you can choose to sin anymore, but deep down in your nature, you can't sin anymore because you want to live for him. And so if you're a sinner, God really does love you. People say that. So you're not supposed to say that. Yes, it is. God loves sinful people. Because if he shows them grace, then that's, it comes out of love. He's deeply concerned about you. He made you in his image, and sin has ruined that image. And you are designed to live in a holy relationship with him and walk with him. Come on, man. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned. 
That's the way it's supposed to be. You work your job, you enjoy your family, and then at night God comes down and hangs out with you. What a perfect day. You know why he waited till the cool of the evening? So the fishermen could get up early and go get some fishing in. And all 48 fishing fishermen appreciated that joke. We're laughing, but I'm telling you, isn't that what you do? You have your married, you have your children, your grandchildren, your family, your career, your pursuit, your business, whatever. You live your life, you enjoy life, eat, drink, enjoy the fruit of your labor, right? I preached that last week. Work hard. But every day you better make room for him. Matter of fact, you ought to make room for him every moment of every day. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. Your sins demand death. So Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to die. And his death gives you access to God. You're not only attracted to him, you not only listen to him, he's not only reaching out to you, but you can actually get to him. And when you acknowledge your sin and place your confidence in Jesus to save you, the beautiful part of the gospel is that he does exactly that. And then you accept him, receive him, just as he received you as a sinner and then made you righteous and a saint. You receive him. You accept him. You draw him close to you as your Savior and as your Lord, what we would call your leader, the one in charge. And he changes you into a good person, into a godly person so that you can live a godly life. He wants to save you today. And somebody wrote an old song years ago, had a little probably southern gospel feel, but it said, I've just started living. Found me a brand new life. He changed my direction. Washed away all my strife. I'm a newborn believer. It's a holy and filling. The load's getting lighter and the days are getting brighter because I've just started living. And I think that writer got pretty close to what it's like. It's not, you're going to go through hard times, difficult times. But I'm just telling you, when you get saved, it's totally different because now you're on Jesus' side. Not only is he on he, your side, but you're on Jesus. you got him with you everywhere you go. I have a, a man who was my friend, fellow pastor. He is, he would, he's my senior. He would be old enough to be my father. Uh, he's gone now. He, he was a retired pastor when I spoke to him. He told me one time, he said, I have two friends. He called their names. They're ladies that I've met. They were much, much younger than him. They were, they were probably in their 20s or 30s, something like that. And he said, they're both lesbians. I said, okay. He said, I've made friends with them. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I go to a certain place they go, and I see them, and we always talk, and we share, and we sit down, and we commune with one another. And I said, wow, that's, that's pretty fascinating. He said, well, let me just tell you. He said, they know how I feel about them. He said, now, they know. I know their lifestyle. They know that. They don't hide it from me. He said, but they also know how I feel, that what they do and how they live is sinful, and it's morally wrong. So they know that. I don't make any bones about that. I don't, I don't condone. But he said, Chris, 
You can't just shun people like that. He said, I love them. He said, I love them. I tell them I love them. And he said, they're drawn to that. Old guy like me, old beat up preacher like me, he said, they're just drawn to me. Even though they know I don't approve of how they live. He said, but I tell them I love them. He said, how else are they going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? How else? And that's what Jesus did. And that's brothers and sisters, God help us. That's what you and I have got to do. Every chance we get. Will you stand with me this morning? When I go fishing, and I fish a lot, I, I, when I say a lot, I usually go once a week. My day off, I go fishing, but I go out there, I stay a while. I've learned you can't throw the same lure. You have to try to find what they want. Sometimes I'm successful, a lot of times I am. I've got a lot of tackle. Sometimes I fished all day and didn't catch a thing. I've had that happen. And it's the same thing with what I've done this morning, preaching. I could preach the gospel 60 different ways. Could. But I've just preached it this way this morning. Like what God has given me. But essentially, I'm done. Because I can't save you. I could, I would. But now it's your turn. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, oh sinner, come home. And now it's up to you. I would like everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes and create an atmosphere of concentration and consecration both because I want you to concentrate on the Lord and on the moment of what we're doing the task at hand and also privacy would anybody in this church be honest enough I hope you feel that that's the kind of person I am I, would you be honest enough to say pastor I'm a sinner and I need to be saved just throw your hand up high Anybody in the house, Pastor, I need to be seen. You got to throw it up high for me to see it. A lot of people here, I'm just looking. I need to be saved. Would you do it? Could you be that honest? Come on, I gave you everything I got. Just give me that. Give me a hand raise. I need to be saved, Pastor. Pastor Billy, I want you to sing this song, every head up, every eye open. This is an invitation song, and then we're going to pray. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org.
or check us out on social media.